Here at Country Roads magazine for 40 years, with curiosity as our guide, we've been wandering the back roads of Mississippi and Louisiana, discovering and sharing Southern culture's most compelling stories. It's a chance to listen closer and discover more. And maybe laugh a little too. I'm James Fox-Smith, publisher. And I'm Jordan LaHaye-Fontenot, managing editor. And I'm Alexandra Kennan, arts and entertainment editor. And this is Detours, a new podcast from your friends at Country Roads Magazine. everyone, Jordan here. For this episode of Detours, James, Alex, and I decided to make a trip out to St. Francisville. Some of our drives were shorter than others. James lives just down the road on the rural outskirts of town. Alex is coming from New Orleans, and I made the trek from Lafayette. We wanted to convene here in the heart of the town where our magazine got its start to celebrate another business that began here in the Felicianas around the same time as Country Roads, Grandmother's Buttons. The jewelry company, which is now known across the globe, got its start in 1985 when Susan Davis decided to make earrings out of a pair of checked glass buttons from her grandmother's collection. Since then, Grandmother's Buttons has become a beloved collection of specially designed jewelry handcrafted from Susan's ever-growing trove of antique buttons, each of which has its own place in the history of fashion, women, and art all across the world. In January of this year, for our annual analog issue, which celebrates all things hands-on and handmade, we dedicated our cover to celebrating the business's legacy during its final days, as founder Susan Davis plans for a much-deserved retirement. So, we're currently sitting around a table in the iconic Grandmother's Buttons building just a few days before the legendary jewelry company closes its doors for good, and we're thrilled to be joined by Susan herself. Susan, thank you so much for joining us today, or welcoming us more, more yeah. like um, here at Grandmother's Buttons. Hey, James. Hey, Alex. We're all hey, here. Jordan. Hi, everyone. Hi. We are at Grandmother's Buttons in St. Francisville, um, right at its parting days. Yes, yes. Yes. We'll close our last day for the store to be open is March 15th. Wow. So by the time uh-huh. you guys are hearing this, it'll be officially over. Oh my gosh. Oh, <laughs> it, It's really hard for me to take in after coming here every day for 28 years and, wow. you know, the store being open seven days a week for 28 years that, you know, everybody says bittersweet, but there's a very sweet part to it too, getting to retire. What are you most looking forward to about retirement? Oh, 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 oh traveling, um, making a garden out of the woods that we haven't touched for three decades. <laughs> and uh, just we have a grandchild and, in New Orleans visiting with her. And I have like a thousand and one projects that yeah. I have just little, you know, kind of uh, arts and crafts, creative projects. I've just been making jewelry all these years. So lots of ideas. So I'd love to ask about that. So um, (laughs) when a born creative who's sort of creative outlet turned into the business that she has done, she, you and Donnie have done for the last 28, sorry, 38 years. 38 years, right. Um, what are all of the other creative outlets that have to be suppressed when that one thing <laughs> takes over and takes on stage? Nothing remarkable. 
<laughs> you know, I, I love old things and I love handmade things as you can tell, because that's what grandmother's buttons was taking something old, making it by hand into something new and usable. So I, I'm, I mean, I hate to say Pinterest, but I have like Pinterest files that are just packed with things I want to transform into new things for our house. I also, um, I'm going to have a booth in an antique mall because I have three and a half decades of props that I've used for this business. I don't have to buy anything. (laughs) What antique mall? Well, um, I'm going to be at the West Lachan Antique Mall uh, Mm -hmm. next to Audubon Cafe. Mm -hmm. Oh, wonderful. And, uh, you know, Donnie is chagrined that That it's not a clean break. Yes, and that there will be more stuff coming in and out of our house. (laughs) He had hoped for a nice, tidy house. But, um, like, the owner of, of the antique mall told me, you know, it's really no more expensive than a storage unit. <laughs> so it's a similar effect. Yeah. yeah. And, and I want to write a little bit. I do used really? to do that yeah. a little bit. Okay. Mm-hmm. What kind of topics would you like to write on? Um, probably nothing to share, <laughs> you know, just, mm-hmm. um, we'll write some poetry again and I don't know what I don't, I, I, just for my own enjoyment. Yeah. Oh, you know? it's so exciting. I, it is. So many possibilities. And, and then uh, my husband, Donnie, who's been Mr. Buttons low these three decades, is really excited. <laughs> <laughs> and he's a wildlife biologist by training, and we live on a farm, so he's going to spend a lot of time just walking around the woods. Yeah. So really, in some ways, this is another opportunity to come back full circle to yes. the things that kind of drove, brought you to St. Francisville, brought you back to St. Francisville and mm-hmm. um, kind of got you started on this journey. Oh, that's absolutely true. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we had a couple of years uh, when we first moved here, had this idea where we led kind of a gypsy life. We didn't really wholesale. We would pack up. He had an old red pickup truck, and we'd pack that up and go do shows around and about. And we had a lot of spare time, you know, to do the things we enjoy, um, camping and, and that kind of thing. But then, as you know, you have children, you have employees, and boy, are you off to the races. And the things that you love do take a back seat. And then, um, but the past 15 years, I, I took back more of the designing of the jewelry. In the middle years, I had hired people to do that. And there was immense satisfaction in that. So mm. so I'm still going to make just a tiny bit of jewelry, too. Sure. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of people who will listen to this and who read those articles that will be very, very pleased to hear that. And we think, um, we're pretty sure, the jewelry that we do make will be sold at the Historical Society here in oh, town. Oh, wow. Oh, how wonderful. That's yeah. It's, isn't that a perfect combination? Yeah. Oh, it is. And it'll be low-key enough that, you know, we won't feel like we have to produce a sure. huge amount but it will be appreciated and the boats stop there and people will have access. Oh, and I know St. Francisville will appreciate still having that in downtown St. Francisville one way or another. Yeah, exactly. And my mother was one of the the founding members of the Historical Society, so I know it would make her happy too. Oh, I didn't realize that. Those Mm -hmm. ladies are such a staple of the town over there. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. I grew up so scared of them. (laughs) (laughs) I did too, admittedly. (laughs) Sorry, Helen, if you're listening to this. (laughs) Love you. Exactly. The iron fist in the 
velvet gloves <laughs> yeah. of the West Christiana Historical Society. The classic Iron Fist. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Someone's got to keep this town in check. And I'm glad that they'll still have some beautiful button antique jewelry to help them do it. <laughs> they will. And our sales manager up here, Christy Small, she's become the new executive director of the oh, Historical wow. Society. So she will bring all the knowledge she garnered here in terms of sales for their little store, but also um, she and I went to the Museum Store Association show um, in Boston, in Washington, in um, San Diego. So she really has an idea for what it this could be as an income producer for the society. Oh, what a beautiful continuation of the business, too. Just the fact that this yeah. isn't this isn't a hard ending, that this will continue and carry on and evolve in its own way is a beautiful thing. In a way that it can continue, but we get the life we want. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. That that's that's everything that we could have hoped for. I can, so, env- I can envisage a scenario where demand outstrips supply quite and, significantly. Yeah. And maybe that's okay. Too. That's that's fine. <laughs> that, that <would> be... <laughs> There's beauty in scarcity. Yes, yes, yes. and profit. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> that, too, that too. I know. I, I said this to them before we came, but I, it occurred to me that these are already the, the jewelry mm-hmm. you make is already kind of a collectible item, and yes. now that it'll be a little harder to get, I wonder about the value increasing in some. Yeah, you know? you know, it's hard to say because it is costume jewelry. You right. know, it's not gold or silver, right. but it does incorporate actual antique pieces mm-hmm. that have a value independent of the jewelry. So I'm, I'm really curious to see what will happen. And um, that brings up something that I'd been thinking about when I was thinking about this talk is the surprising connection that we have found some people had to the, the jewelry that, I mean, you know, we've been just plugging along doing this and glad, glad people are wearing it. That's great. But we heard from so many people after we announced that we were closing, I heard from um, a young woman living off the coast of Ireland who said she was inspired to start her own craft business in her small town because of reading our blog. I I mean, and then we heard from somebody in New Zealand and then this was amazing. I just got this, uh, Yesterday, and I won't read the whole note, but a woman said, Hello, Susan. I just uh, want to share with you what grandmother's buttons meant to me. A few years ago, I was at the Dayton Art Institute with my mom, aunt, and sister, and she said it was a stressful day. They all were fighting, and she and her mom had difficulties. But then that summer, she, I mean, that Christmas, she opened a box, and inside it were the Verona filigree earrings. <laughs> My mom saw them in the gift shop that day and knew I'd love them, so she thought of me even when she was mad. What healing there is in that. Oh, that is oh, so beautiful. Wow. And I'm, I'm like, you know, jewelry is therapy. I just had, <laughs> and there are so many stories, people and their grandmothers and the button boxes. And I think it's just not quite normal or it's not usual for a jewelry company to inspire Mm. stories like that. And and that's something in retrospect, I think I'll treasure more than any, or one of the things I'll treasure the most. 
Absolutely. There's a lot of sentimentality in this jewelry, I feel like. Mm -hmm. Um, Something very nostalgic. You feel that personal connection with these pieces as well. And and, and specifically to the women in their family, Mm -hmm. you know, um, most certainly women my age, not so much you guys, but remember um, grandmothers and mothers who sewed our clothes, you know, and we would play with the button boxes while they sewed. And so it just the use of the buttons evoked all of those memories for people. And that was very, um, very powerful motive. You know, it just, it just made the story so good for right. the jewelry. Absolutely. And and then, you know, it was my life. My mother uh, sewed the clothes for my three sisters and I. So wow. it was my experience as well. Well, Susan, when we spoke uh-huh. for an article a couple of years ago, mm-hmm. um, you mentioned something that, I'm sure has always been central to the business for you, but mm-hmm. but came as a as a, a eye opening to me was mm-hmm. that you know the core of every piece, of course, mm-hmm. is a vintage or an antique button, right? And those buttons you'd explained were little works of art in their own right, right? That like date from the period before there was zippers and Velcro and other sorts right. of fasteners evolved, and they mm-hmm. were special enough that people tended to keep them even after the clothes. Yes. Were no longer wearable. And so these collections mm-hmm. developed. So you've already at the, at the heart of the business and the jewelry comes mm-hmm. these collectible pieces that are associated not only with memory, with mm-hmm. history, with family collections, right. and also with like clothing itself is very intimate, right? And That's true. If you mm-hmm. have a piece that you remember your mother or your grandmother wearing, and then that button still signifies it, then there's a lot yes. that's wrapped up in that. Mm-hmm. That, And I wanted to ask you if if that was sort of a, a, a conscious part of the of the, the mission or the theory behind grandmother's buttons oh. and how much of a role that played in the way the business developed. It, it really, for me, it was very personal because um, it was very close to both grandmothers and my mother and um, grew up, of course, in my mother's house with my uh, paternal grandmother next door. And she was the grandmother of grandmother's buttons. And this is in St. Francisville. In St. Francisville on our farm. And... Um, so my grandmothers were both born in 1889. So they were children when the late Victorian buttons that had been our mainstay were being made. So in their button boxes, they had a handful of those buttons. And I, I just, um, you know, and they grew up, they raised their families during the Depression and that ethic of saving everything. I mean, my grandmother would save, when we cleaned out her house in the attic were boxes of ribbon from my sister's wedding presents that were 30 years old, but she couldn't throw them away. (laughs) She was like, and we thought they'd been thrown away, but no. (laughs) So, so it, it, it's also, it's, it's, they reflect separate from the family. They reflect the fashion of the times, the art of the times we've, um, 
done releases of jewelry based on Art Nouveau buttons, Art Deco buttons. So there's that part of it. There's the craftsmanship that's lost, the steel cut cut buttons that were little faceted pieces of steel, like sometimes 70 of them per button were hand riveted into the frame. Um, Cameo buttons carved from shell. All of these we have in our button museum. So there's the craft aspect, the fashion aspect, and then the family aspect. So, and, and we tried to value all of that in what we were doing and not just by making the jewelry, but by blogging about the types of buttons, blogging about, um, family history. And then every once in a while we'd do a contest, like where we'd ask people on social media for mother's day, you know, um, give us a memory from your mother or grandmother's button box. And, oh gosh, we'd get hundreds of entries that um, were really all very sweet. So did you find that, because again, your quest to find and locate the Hmm. buttons that make the raw material, obviously long outstripped your grandmother's collections. So Hmm. that quest took you everywhere, right? Can you talk a bit about that, about where you... Right. Some of the places that you ended up going as a result of that quest? Well, and now, because I'm not going to be doing this for my living anymore, I will share the secret that I've never shared. Oh. Okay. <laughs> Scoop right here on the right. podcast. And since the Internet, this secret has been easily available. But before then, it wasn't. Uh-huh. There is a National Button Society. And there are chapters in most states, not Louisiana. I don't know why. But, um, and members of the National Button Society are avid collectors of buttons. And they don't just collect buttons, they compete. And their rule book is some 300 pages long for how you compete. So I've, through the years, have um, gone to their meetings. I know most of the dealers. And so that's how, that that's wow. the source that I've never divulged. Wow. <laughs> that's a revelation. Right. And um, so I guess anybody now that wants to start mm. a button jewelry business will know what to do. Yeah. Exactly how to go to the source. And um, Although eBay is a pretty good source these well, days, too. Yeah. But, you, um, you always said that, each button has a story. Yes. Right. And I wish I knew. I mean, mm. you just think your earrings were among the 40 buttons on somebody's gown in 1890. You know, what the hell? What <laughs> I just try to imagine. Yeah, what were they doing? What would they mm. wear that to? Yeah. Right. And they were probably Who sewed it on. You know, upper middle class at least to have um the nicer buttons like sure. that. So I I just um we the Gilded Age, you know, that came out on HBO last year. Um, it was filmed in the Newport Mansions in Newport, Rhode Island, and we've sold our jewelry off and on to them for years, as well as the Biltmore House because the 1890s—that's our period with the buttons—and they did a big display of our pieces oh. because it aligned the buttons aligned with the fashions. Oh, how cool! Yeah, that was very cool. Now, wasn't Rhode Island kind of the center of America's button manufacturing business? and and silversmithing? Um, 
jewelry. Before, when I started in 1985, we weren't trading with China yet. And a large percentage of American jewelry was made in Rhode Island. Um, People remember names like Trafari, and I can't remember some of the others. And so we watched over these almost 40 years that industry almost die. And um, we still have a lot of suppliers up there. Our plater is in Rhode Island. Um, Sorry, your plater? What does the plater do? They they put a finish on. We use either raw pewter or raw brass findings, and they'll plate them either all silver or all antique brass, sometimes gold. And it's electroplating. It's it's really a very terrible business that involves cyanide and oh. so I, I but it's necessary of course <laughs> and and we've used the that's the other thing um i've developed three decades long relationships with all of those people up there and i just mm-hmm. love them we sent them all king cakes for goodbyes oh, <laughs> i'm sure they love y'all for that they did other reasons yes <laughs> exactly Very cool wow well that's something that i've always loved about jewelry and a reason that I, I like mm-hmm. to buy jewelry when I travel is I feel like it, yes. it can capture such a, a moment in time and be yes. sort of a symbol or an amulet of that moment. So the fact that you have mm-hmm. such an attention to the narrative mm-hmm. and the story yes. of each of these pieces before they even become a piece of jewelry. And, and that is what has set us apart. And you know yeah. something interesting? We found through the years that men um, relate to the jewelry and like to give it as gifts because... You know, they're not so much about, well, is this in fashion or is mm. it in style? But they're like, oh, they can see a, 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 an intrinsic value, you know, in in the history and the story. They can make a connection to it in a sense. Yeah, exactly. I, um, uh-huh. I told Alex a story when we were driving uh-huh. up that one of my husband now and my first trip just together, we came to St. Francisville and, um, we came here and I had been knowing about grandmother's buttons for a long time. So we made a point to come in and I told him like, we had, we were pretty new and I was like, this is a great place to get me gifts for my birthday. And so for several years, that was actually what he got me for my birthday. Um, but he liked that. He liked that whole idea of, um, that that these kind of one of a kind in a sense pieces, um, that's yeah. exactly the reaction that I was talking about. Yeah. And in fact, I have a friend who, after five years, had to tell her husband, okay, let's take a break. <laughs> <laughs> well, and the fact, too, that it, it kind of represents St. Francisville as well. Yeah. Like the fact that you had yes. already been a fan of the jewelry, and so when you came here, you made a point to come here. Yes. And as someone yes. who grew up in St. Francisville, I've always really tied grandmother's buttons oh. in with the identity of the town. And Oh, I'm so happy to yeah. hear that. That makes me so happy. Oh, absolutely. To the point where I know uh-huh. I told them, you know, last uh-huh. summer I was in Muncie, Indiana, of all places. <laughs> Don't ask me why, but I saw some grandmother's buttons jewelry in a gift store right. in Muncie. And it felt like this universal kismet for some reason <laughs> that my hometown had followed me all the way to Muncie, Indiana, of all places. But that just goes to show you uh-huh. how even being from the small town and being so representative of this town and its identity and the identities of all these other individuals who've encountered these buttons over time that it still is so outsourced internationally oh, wow. and so yeah. appreciated globally. So I get, I'm just envisioning a little button network all over yeah. the, the country. Oh, yeah. Well, so. that was, <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, obviously you, you get 
<laughs> messages and cards and things from people who have who have come across this or have connected with Grandma's Button story all over the place. Right. Muncie, Indiana, an example. But, so, <laughs> but you can find Grandmother's Buttons products everywhere, right? right. And I wanted to ask mm-hmm. if you could talk about some of the other places, some oh. of the places you've been astonished, yes. enchanted to discover that um, Grandmother's Button stock has ended up. The biggest and most exciting sale we had, and it was only for like a year, we sold to the British Museum. Yep. I was wow. beside myself. Wow. <laughs> and um, through the years and increasingly through our last year's, we did very well with museum stores and, um, you know, I've already mentioned the, the, uh, Vanderbilt houses, but we've sold to the New York Historical Society and, oh, God, I'm gonna, oh the World War II Museum, mm-hmm. which you wouldn't think, but they have a boutique that sells 1940s era oh, wow. clothes, which I love. And, um, the Museums of Fine Arts in San Francisco mm-hmm. and just, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'd say at least 30% of the art muse- you know, major art museums at one time or another have we've sold to them. Uh, Museum of Fine Arts Boston, you know, so uh-huh. that, that's been that's, so rewarding. That's, a, that's an amazing footprint. To come from our little town. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, uh-huh. I came across them in the Tenement Museum in New York <gasps> yes. once. Yes. Oh, Sandy was the buyer there. And <laughs> um, I took the tour one time we were there, and they did have a little card of Victorian buttons, exactly our buttons, wow. in one of the um, sewing machine in one of the living oh, rooms. Oh, in the tour. Yeah, oh, in wow. the tour. That's very cool. So, you yeah. should um, publish the Grandmother's Buttons American Museum Store Tour. Yes. yes. Well, when Donnie and I travel, that is going to be an unofficial itinerary for me. Over time, I want to travel to some of the favorite ones I've never been to. The Museum uh, of North Carolina History has been a customer of ours for 25 years, and I've never been. Uh, there's the Museum of American Arts and Crafts in um, Southern Florida that I want to go to. It's a new museum. So, yeah, that's going to be part of our adventure. Yeah. <laughs> so you'll still be working button business into your retirement. Yes, yes. Like. <laughs> you, you the only thing, I'll only be spending money. <laughs> you'll, you'll never escape this. You'll never escape this. I will never, and, and neither will Donnie. God bless him. No. <laughs> so, Alex, you, that was a great point you brought up about really growing up. In well, when if you grow up in St. Francisville or live here, grandmother's buttons has been a byword for the town. It's like mm-hmm. a, it's an extension of the of what people think of. With some, it's one of the things people think of when they think of St. Francisville. Mm-hmm. And I might add, like your dad's business, Shade Tree, yeah. and to an extent, Country Roads as well, are all things which have been synonymous with and the Magnolia and, and the Magnolia, and the Magnolia. yeah, right. and and all started. I think within seven or eight years yeah. of each other, in too. In the 80s, right? Mm-hmm. Right. Early 80s, mid-80s. And, and don't you feel like there was a wave of entrepreneurial growth then, and it, then there was kind of a long lag time, and now we have it again yeah. with the brewery and all of those things? Absolutely right. And we wanted you to kind of talk a little bit about that as kind mm-hmm. of one of the present at the creation <sighs> founding mothers of entrepreneurial St. Francisville right. business, you know, where you see it now, where you see right. this new wave of really, there's this new infusion of life coming, right? Well, it's really interesting. I, I was talking to Ashley a little while ago mm. about, um, 
when your mother-in-law Dorcas and I and Robin at the Magnolia started, we were all very bootstrappy, you know, just you fly by the seat of your pants. I never had a business plan and it feels like these, but yet we made it work incrementally, Mm. but it feels like these new businesses, um, are much more, um, ready to make their mark from the get go. You know, they have, I'm sure business plans and credit lines and all kinds of things. So it, it is different. It's a, it's less of a, kind of post hippie kind of, you know, <laughs> let's go to the country and make a business. And and it, it's more, um, professional, I guess. I mean, I don't want to say we weren't professional at all, but you know, we didn't know what we were doing. <laughs> I think Dorcas would be the first to agree. It was literally, yeah. it wasn't, um, that, oh, well, let's create a business plan, come up with a coherent model for a, for a, yes. uh, for a consumer magazine. No, no, no. It was, that's a cute idea. Yes. Let's see. I've got all kinds of things I could write about. Right. Um, and then start from there and then reverse engineer in the actual, the actual, you know, right. underpinnings of the thing after the fact. And, and maybe that's uh-huh. one of the things that St. Francisville sort of did well, because it seems like a lot of those iconic early oh, businesses yes came out of an idea, a right. raw idea, but one that wouldn't necessarily fit well into a coherent business plan. I, I mean, I can only imagine had I gone to the bank <laughs> and said, give me, I mean, even just $10,000, I'm going to turn buttons into earrings. <laughs> you yeah. know I mean? I just, <laughs> but um, no, absolutely. And, and I think uh, the Magnolia started as a health food store. Wasn't Kenwood involved in he that? He was, he was. Right. Yeah. And, and so I, I, I'm excited about these new businesses and I really think they're going to thrive. And I think they're what we need to bring the town sort of to the next level, but I don't want to lose the quirkiness, you know, kind of like a little tiny miniature version of keep Austin weird. You know, Mm. I, I, I don't want to lose some, I don't want it all to seem polished. Yeah. That would be a great loss if St. Francis Mm -hmm. lost that because I think it's the animating principle that made this different from Mm -hmm. every other small town and I think exactly. it's what's drawn people all these mm-hmm. years. I, I, I really yeah. think it is. Um, you know, the building is for sale and uh, a post, a thing called uh, Instagram and Facebook page called Cheap Old Houses uh, put, I followed uh, share, did you see? Well, we saw, it's going viral. Oh, yeah, 42,000 <laughs> likes and I I mean, the jewelry never, 4,000 likes, that was as viral as we went. (laughs) And and they said in there, this is neither cheap nor an old house, but we think it's so cool we want to (laughs) share it. And But my point is, in the 370 comments, there were such glowing things said about St. Francisville. Um, One woman said, I think it's the most enchanting town in America, (laughs) you know, which is, that's a little hyperbole, but gosh... (laughs) Yeah. It's the same. It's like that thing. It's like you, you want people to come and appreciate that and love that, but you don't want too many of them to come. <laughs> you know? it's, it's, yes. it's the, same, yeah. the same problem that I guess, or challenge, is it a problem, uh-huh. an opportunity yeah. that uh-huh. places that have something special that attracts people have suffered since time immemorial, right? Right. Right. The, the first, first there is the spirit and then that mm-hmm. encourages the artists, the artists follow and then that makes a place cool and then people want to yes. be there 
and then it gets popular and then it gets expensive and then the artists can't afford to be there anymore. That's exactly... It's a very old cycle, isn't it? And I think that mm-hmm. to a certain extent St. Francisville is somewhere on that journey. I think just beginning, you know, Perhaps because... Perhaps just beginning. But but property values and land values mm-hmm. are, are really pretty high for such yeah. a rural area yeah. mm-hmm. and that does keep people out, and mm-hmm. um, which is not good in all ways, you know. And, and I know that we have had trouble the past couple of years finding enough people people for entry level jobs and I think it's just because mm. it's more expensive to live here than in some of the other surrounding towns. You know, we hear that with the school as well, of course. You know, we have this right. wonderful school system that, that right. really animates and drives a lot of the good things about St. Francisville, but a lot of the teachers and so on have a real trouble finding a place to live here as well. Exactly. And that that is a problem. But um when you're talking about St. Francisville you know, buttons being associated with St. Francisville. I used to say in the nineties, we were known for four things for buttons, ghosts, sweet potatoes, and prisoners. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Summarizes it pretty well, I would say. Yes. Mm-hmm. Right. And if that's not quirky, I don't know yeah. what is. Oh, no, tagline. <laughs> right. There, that for the tourist commission, you can have that for free. Yes. <laughs> the buttons and ghosts alone bring in plenty of them. <laughs> right. so. so what about the buttons? What about all the leftover buttons? Oh, dear God. I, okay. okay. <laughs> question. Well, because I really can't part with them yet. I just can't. I'm packing up. Um, you saw that pod outside. It's eventually going to be filled to the brim. Um, thanks to your son, Charles, who is helping us with the manual <laughs> labor. Delighted to be <laughs> um, with... I don't know, 400,000 little things, you know, I mean, beads and buttons and findings and ear wires and everything. I, um, I'm going to move it to our workshop and carport where I will sort through it. And then the 15% or so I want to keep for Corda and I, Corda is one of our designers. She and I will make the little bit of jewelry. We'll do that in our, um, in our um, my workshop at home, and then I'm hoping to sell the other eighty percent either to somebody to make a similar, you know, style of jewelry. Um, we do have one former employee who's worked here about a year and a half, who I'm selling some things to, and she's starting her own line. Oh, how it's, exciting! Yes, it's called Bijou Designs, and that's for bouton, which is button in French, and bijou, which is jewelry. And um, she's got her website out now, so bijou.com. Oh, great! We'll have she, to check that out for sure. She has. Um, I, I also she is carried the pieces she designed here. She has on her website now, so people can go there now and buy some of grandmother's buttons pieces. I wonder how many businesses and designers have been personally inspired by what you've done here at Grandmother's Buttons. Well, you know, and not always that was a good thing. I mean, <laughs> when I remember in the early '90s when I started, all of a sudden in Louisiana and Texas alone, there were like twelve copycat. You know, businesses. you know, and, and, you know, I don't care what they say about the most sincere form of flattery. I did not feel flattered. Yeah. <laughs> no, it, imitation a lot of times is the serious kind of copyright infringement. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But, but, you know, you can't copyright an idea no. like turning buttons mm-hmm. into jewelry. I mean, women, I didn't know they, um, there were ads during World War II. You know, you can't afford, there's a metal shortage, so you couldn't afford to buy jewelry. And it was an ad for how to turn your buttons 
into oh, earrings. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Oh, wow. <laughs> I had no idea. I found that. So, um, but you know, that for the most part, that was a short lived thing. And, and there are other people who've been inspired to do their own complete style and look, and that that's very good and mm. fascinating. One of the things that we were talking about before we came over was Alex, when you were a kid, your memory of walking into the store. Yeah, that and was something that I remember as being such like a fixture of this building. Is I don't know if it was a bird bath or what it was. Oh yes. But you had this giant vat of antique <laughs> buttons right when you walked in. It was a bird bath. Yes, okay. I thought you could just been. dig through it to I find I loved that. And that is so the whole idea, what do you do? You have a button tin. You just dig through it. And even there's that little clankety sound that, you know, it appeals to everybody. And at the button shows where I go sometimes with the button conventions, um, they have what they call poke boxes and they're just like box tops and they pour a bunch of buttons in and you do that just like with wow. the bird bath. But I will always have that memory associated with grandmother's <laughs> buttons of just kind of the raw buttons in that form. But what a variety there was. Yeah. And you're right. There is something very satisfying, that little clicking sound. I know that there are people <laughs> yeah. into the ASMR on YouTube these days. It's <laughs> yeah. kind of a degree of that, you know, uh -huh. and all of these little beautiful things. But oh, I just, thing. gosh, I, I will never forget uh, that, you know? And I remember I was probably like, my nose was about as high yeah. as the bird bath was. But, um, but yeah. I, I love those moments in my childhood, walking down from my dad's house of shade tree and just yeah. pouring through those buttons. Because you would have been, are you a year older or younger than Ben? I'm a little younger than Ben, okay. so I'm 93. So you were one years old when we opened the store or bought the building. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. This is St. Francis <laughs> to me. This is a cornerstone of the town. It's appropriate you're in a bank building because it really is a cornerstone <laughs> as much as the bank is as far as my memory goes. That's, that, that's so wonderful yeah. to hear. Well, Ashley, and, uh -huh. Ashley would always um, talk about how uh -huh. when they were kids, she and Becky were... I guess, middle school age, mm -hmm. that you would let them come and probably dig through the same bird bath for handfuls of buttons. No, they and got... take them to make... They got the and attic buttons. I have, they got attic buttons? I have attic buttons. Attic buttons. Yes. Wow. No when, way. Have you ever regretted giving them no. to a couple of teenage girls and just letting them go and make them into barrettes? Because they were 1950s and 60s buttons. I, I bought see. 800 pounds... <laughs> Oh, of, my gosh. Of buttons. They filled my entire attic, but I didn't really know what to do with them. I, it was an impulse buy. <laughs> and so, and that's where Ashley and Becky went. They went in our attic along with all the resident ground, uh, flying squirrels <laughs> and, <laughs> and got buttons. And they found they did... The, really a great business. They called it AB Tom, as you know, mm -hmm. and they glued buttons to barrettes and sold them to boutiques all over Baton Rouge wow. and Natchez. Now that's uh, AB uh -huh. Tom being Ashley and Becky Tomlinson. Ashley Tomlinson is my wife yes. and the associate publisher of Country Roads, if anybody's wondering where all that came mm -hmm. from. But when I first moved here in 1995 yeah. and we were struggling around trying to figure out how to make Country Roads something, mm -hmm. Ashley was literally, she had still those barrettes, and she <laughs> talked about that. She's like, well, look, if the magazine doesn't make it, <laughs> we, can pr we can just keep making these because me and Becky, we made so much money when we were kids on these things. In the early days, they were far easier to sell than ads in Country Road. <laughs> I, I remember mm. when y'all first came 
I, I, we were in that other building on Highway 10, and I believe you had hair. That, I, had, I had hair. It sh- wasn't sh- gray. So <laughs> shoulder-length hair, mm. and um, it was so cool. I just, I just <laughs> wow. <laughs> Here so, we are, 30 years later. I know, wow. was, uh, we were so excited y'all were moving back to, to the Ville. Well, it's, uh, it sure has been um, an absolute gift for us to be here. So I, I know of it. It's, we've raised our kids here. It's been a very special place to call home. So again, when we talked, I guess it was mm-hmm. 2021, last time we talked for an article. Mm-hmm. At the time, you mentioned the transformation that the challenge of COVID really wrought on the oh, business. Yeah. Um, because it forced you to change everything really about the way that you talked to your customers and found your customers. And it turned out to be the ultimate silver lining. Um, I mean, not to say anything good about that tragedy, but we, you know, we, before COVID 60% of our sales were wholesale to stores and, and 40% uh, retail and then to, by 2021, that had flopped. And that was because we realized we had to sell more online retail. And people were really shopping. They were at home. And so they were on their computers all the time. And we just lucked into this wonderful consultant from Canada who showed us how to um, advertise on social media effectively, but also to use email streams um, to reach out to customers. And, you know, we built our mailing list, online mailing list from, I don't know what it was, seven or 8,000 to almost 40,000. Wow. And, you know, I, I came to realize that social media is all well and good, but, you know, they're always fiddling with algorithms that it's all about developing your email list Mm -hmm. because you, you own that. And, um, it, in that one year, our online retail sales went up 300%. Gosh. That's so incredible. It, it was, and, and I loved it too, because I got to write these blogs about mm-hmm. buttons and found that I wasn't the only one on earth outside of the button society <laughs> that, that cared about what a cut steel button was or, you know, all of that stuff. Um, you know, we went to the Czech Republic to some old button factories there in 2016, and I was able to blog about that and show all the videos of, of the buttons being hand-pressed one at a time by a guy sitting at a furnace. There, there are only like four guys in the Czech Republic that wow. still know how to do this. And so, you know, it was just like magic to be able to have people put that out and have people react to it. Mm-hmm. And the other thing is, too, like when you sell to stores, you know, there's a barrier between you and the customer. And so the customer really doesn't know anything more about you except the one little paragraph you put on the card that the store gives. But with this, that's when we started seeing the intimate involvement, mm. you know, and, and people sharing their stories. And So that recently. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Really since 2020. Wow. Has that taken off? Because so, then you get to control the story yes. and you get to that you get to in what infuse the piece of jewelry with more of the story that. Exactly. The way you want it to get told, right? If it's just in a jewelry case with a sales associate who, you know, doesn't know that much about your company, 
you know, there's, there's no way to fully transmit that story. Yeah. Even though on the back of every card, we print out a little sticker that tells the history of the button in it. But yeah. So yeah, there's that old saying, uh-huh. um, and this applies to what you said about social media versus building your own mm-hmm. list is to not build your house on rented land. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Because that can just get taken away in a second. And I think a lot of people in the, who built their businesses in a social media universe have discovered that you don't yes. have a lot of control. Ultimately, no, and you, you know, why do you want to be, you know, have your business at the mercy of Zuckerberg and, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, why? It, it, yeah, but sure. it, it's That's still true. a tool that sure. can be it's used, tool. it's a tool mm-hmm. to be used judiciously. One thing that, so again, just on that topic, mm-hmm. you know, we we are here two businesses that have staked their claim and planted their flag in a small town. And that for a lot of years would have been seen as a, an impediment probably to growing a successful business. But Mm -hmm. in some ways, I suppose the changes that COVID has brought and the internet economy has brought have made businesses like both of ours And indeed, St. Francisville is a place to run a business like that more viable than ever before because the size of the audience is effectively infinite. Right. And it doesn't doesn't matter to be right near those people in the same way. It's so true. And also expertise, you know, because it was always hard to get um, people with a depth of knowledge on selling. um, But, you know, so... In COVID, Jill, our consultant, she lived half of the year in Canada and half of the year in Florida. And so we would see each other maybe once a year, but she was just critical to the growth of our business. And, um, you know, if, if our son and they, if they move here, (laughs) then she has a, 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 job where she works remotely with a, a independent record label that's based way out of state. So it, we just need better internet <laughs> for, for <laughs> the young people to truly be able to come up here and work remotely. Yeah. yeah. And uh, then we'll be in good shape. That's true. Mm-hmm. Um, based on your experience mm-hmm. over these years, what, how do you think, you know, I mean, I think the conventional wisdom would say that the growth of the internet economy and the sort of Amazonification of retail has been a bad thing for small entrepreneurial cottage-based business. But you are somebody who worked that out. You figured that out. You found your audience. You built it. You did it the way on your own terms from the town where you lived. Mm -hmm. And so I wanted to ask on the reflectively on the backside of 38 years of doing this, what do you think is the state of things for small independent craft-based businesses in America now? I think, you know, we chose not to sell on Amazon. We we thought about it. We signed up for the Amazon Handmade. I, I think it really is what you do. If you just make a widget, then you're in trouble. But if you make something that if you make something that cannot be made overseas inexpensively, then you can tell your story. And Mm -hmm. if people, if it's a good story and a good product, you'll do well. And, and so that, I think that's the dividing line. If, if you're just making, you know, something, I don't know that, but you know, that's not special, then 
the internet has made it more difficult for you. But if, if, if you have something like we've, we have, then you can um, use the internet to bring your message everywhere. Mm-hmm. That storytelling tool that yeah. the right. internet Absolutely. has really, um, really yeah. opened the door for in a lot of ways. I mean, don't you get, in, you know, Instagram ads and you like, how does Instagram know me so well? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> but in a sea of these, you know, mass produced trinkets or whatever it yeah. is we're getting advertised on Instagram Fast these fashion. days. Exactly. Yeah. I do yeah. think that in such an economy that is so mm-hmm. full of that, that there has been kind of a pushback and people have started to appreciate things like grandmother's buttons and these collectibles that do have a special story and a special narrative and can't just be mass produced. And, you know, I think that price is such an important element in all of that because, you know, you hear about fast fashion and then slow fashion, but so often slow fashion begins at $400 a top. Right. And accessible to everyone. And and I think, you know, we found a niche where um, our prices were from $12 to $250, but the earrings being mostly below $50 and, you know, necklaces mostly being below a hundred dollars. And, and I think, I think that if people could find a way to hit that price point more than the more rarefied mm-hmm. or $500 prices, mm-hmm. it would, I know I would enjoy it. Yeah, I would yeah. enjoy shopping for those things. No, that's a good point because what you offer is so special and it does feel very, very unique and very luxury in a way because it is an antique and it is, you know, right. personally curated, but it's also very accessible. You know, right. I'm, I'm wearing this like little vintage sixties tie bar yes. Yes. from Germany, which I appreciated that little sticker. Yes. Gave me that. And I thought it was so creative that a men's tie bar became a necklace, but this uh-huh. was for $48. You know, yeah. I appreciated that, uh, that I, I was able to, to afford that little luxury for yeah. myself. And that was a conscious choice we made, I I think, partly living in a small town. I mean, it was, I just didn't want to make things that I couldn't have enjoyed um, earlier in my life, Mm -hmm. you know. But, um, oh, I I just have to tell you that necklace with the um, Sputnik tie bar. I'm obsessed with it. (laughs) That came from a warehouse in Rhode Island that is, this is the real reason I did this business, to go on these hunts for things, because it's vintage glass besides the buttons for color, we brought in a lot of vintage glass stones uh, from the 20s, 30s through the 60s. And you go to Rhode Island where all the jewelry was made and where all the old jewelry companies just unloaded all of their stuff in these warehouses where you can dig. This one is in a 19th century um, fabric mill and it's three stories, including like a dungeon basement. And, And you just dig and it's my favorite thing I, I have uh, ever done in my life. <laughs> treasure hunting. Real treasure, treasure hunting. So Real this, treasure so hunting. This is the great button hunt. This yeah. is. Yeah. And, and for in and those places, it's not as much buttons as, as the vintage glass, but I do the button hunting at the button mm. shows. <laughs> so, yeah. no, it's, it, it is just, I would go every February and get unreasonably excited. <laughs> <laughs> now has given me something to be unreasonably excited about. You're right. I didn't have to go to Rhode Island and do all the digging, so I appreciate <laughs> yes, that. Thank yes. you. <laughs> Thank you. 
Oh, well, it's, it sounds like it's been the most amazing journey and it's certainly been a success story. Um, I think a lot of people do, you know, they wonder why are we coming to an end? And I think that you guys are ending on such a beautiful point. If you would like to share a little bit about that decision. Oh, yes. I'm sure people will. Um, well, not to get into details, but my husband um, had some health issues mm-hmm. that he's doing super, super well. Oh, but okay. it, you know, it just changes your viewpoint, and 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 he is older than I am, so he's seventy three, and I'm sixty seven, and it was like, oh my gosh, we, you know, we've worked hard enough. We really need to get about retirement and enjoying life. And it's been such a good decision. And, you know, we thought about selling the business as a whole, but I I just wanted it to end being what it was, Mm -hmm. you know, I, I, I didn't want, and, and selfishly, I didn't want to have to take the time to, you know, transmit the button knowledge to somebody else. But, oh, and something I haven't mentioned is that our daughter, Anna, for the past 10 years has been a part owner in the business and our photographer, and she struggled. She really almost decided to keep the jewelry business going, but she lives in New Orleans and all of the jewelry makers lived here and she has a small baby. So Mm -hmm. she had to let it go too, which was a little bit hard for her, Mm -hmm. but I think it was the right decision too. So I think that's probably a, a familiar story for a lot of people mm-hmm. who have had a closely held family business that has done right. something unique as to what happens when you get to the point where it's it's time to transition. It and do you want to let it you want to hand it over and and imagine watching it become something that, that right. it wasn't? Or do you close a chapter? And uh, that's got to be a very personal decision. And I yes. certainly from our perspective as, as publishers of this magazine, that it is a, it is a topic that we've considered. Like exactly. what happens in whenever the time comes when, it's when we're not ready to do that anymore. And we don't know. We haven't got an answer to that question. So I'm really curious as to how you made your decision. Well, you know, I think a lot of it will be who approaches you about, you know, who is interested in carrying it forward. Like if, and now I'm talking not about the store, but the jewelry making Mm -hmm. business. If someone had approached me who had, everything they needed, um, to go with it, you know, like they, they had somebody who could make a website, they had a photographer on staff, they had a graphic designer. We probably would have entertained an offer, but, and if somebody comes to you that maybe is publishing something else and you think it would be a good fit, you know, that would make the decision easier. We didn't want to advertise nationally and then have to talk to all of these people. And when you do that, I feel like a lot of times there are people looking for either vanity projects or a tax write-off, mm-hmm. like they on purpose don't want it to do well. And and so we just, yeah, but it, it was, oh my gosh, James, it was a hard decision. It was sure, four sure. months in the making. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I think there's something beautiful about closing the doors on your own terms, yeah. especially yeah. at a point where things are good, you know. You started writing mm-hmm. this book. It's mm-hmm. good to get to end it as well. Yeah, that's to, true. To decide how it how it finishes as well. That's a good way to put yeah. it. To sure. write the last chapter. Mm-hmm. That's a, that's well, a good and the thing. jewelry lasts forever. 
pretty much. You there know? you go. <laughs> I mean, people are going to be wearing it around here for, for, I mean, forever. And, you know? and, and hopefully as long as the buttons lasted from yeah. that gown till we made it into jewelry. You sure. Know? And there'll be heirlooms yet again for another generation who will wonder about who turned that button into the earring. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> that that yeah. is... Gosh, it's been nice to talk to y'all about this. Uh, well, thank you so much for having us here. Um, I feel like we could keep talking forever, but it's, <laughs> it's but been such yes. a joy. It really has been. And that's well, part of why you. we wanted to put it on the cover of that January oh, issue was because yeah. it, it is such a beautiful representation of you oh. close a door and you crack a window, you know, yeah. and we'll carry on. Oh, I'm, oh. <laughs> yeah, but, but I um, thank y'all. Well, Bye. thank you, Susan. If this is your first time listening and you like what you heard, and if you're still with us at this point, we're going to assume that you do. Please subscribe to Detours, give us a rating, and maybe even send it to a friend. And if you're not already reading Country Roads magazine, you probably should be. To read online, find a copy, or subscribe to have the monthly issues delivered to your door, visit countryroadsmag.com. Detours is written, presented, and produced by us, the editorial team at Country Roads magazine. James Fox Smith... Jordan Lahey Fontenot, and Alexandra Kenner. Our theme music was written and recorded by Bill Daniel and Sam Shaheen of Naughty Professor and produced by Bill Daniel at Wild Child Studios in New Orleans. The Detours logo and other associated artwork was created by Country Roads Magazine's creative director, Courtney Zimmerman. And the audio editing for this season was done by me, Jordan Lahey-Fontenot, with the help from Alexandra Kinnan and Sam Shaheen. We'd also like to thank the East Baton Rouge Parish Library's River Center branch, particularly Wesley Morgan, for allowing us to utilize the recording studio in their maker's space to record several episodes for this first season and for helping us along the way. So, until our next detour, don't be a stranger. You can always reach us at detours at countryroadsmag.com. And thanks for listening.